closer walk with Oh, grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to
in the key of D. So he became me that I might become him by grace. Oh, he became me that I might become him by grace. Oh, he took my place so that I through his love could take his oh now he became me so that I might become something soft that you may have your seats we have several prayer requests that uh, we have to mention here um, if I could also have uh, the uh, deacons uh, be ready to come forward so that we can take up the tithes and offering as well afterwards uh, we just want to uh, remember uh, brother Chris Clayville he is not able to be with us this evening he's at work um, so we just want to remember him uh, we also want to uh, remember uh, Sister Julia Clayville's brother, who is in town, uh, Brother Jeremy Reynolds. Uh, just want to remember him. He's visiting with us, um, but I believe uh, is looking for work up here as well, so we just want to remember him. Uh, we just want to uh, remember uh, Frank and Caroline Hickman, who are the neighbors of the Hugheses, so we just want to remember them in prayer. Um, also, just continue to remember uh, my Aunt Karen Buchanan. Uh, she's still not doing well, so we just uh, want to lift her up in prayer this evening. Uh, we just want to remember Brother Matt Cross. He is away traveling and preaching in South Carolina this evening, so we just want to uh, remember him and pray that God will move in on the services there as well. Also, uh, the drums, we just want to continue to remember them with uh, their recoveries uh, that they're going through, so just remember them. 
I also uh, just uh, I have a request here for Sister Sherry Holly, so we just want to remember her. Uh, Sister April Grant is away in Turkey uh, right now on a surgical uh, trip, so we just want to remember her in prayer and that the Lord will just keep her safe and uh, just guide her hands. Uh, we want to remember the males who are not here. Uh, they are at home dealing with some sickness. Uh, also, we want to remember the Pascals who are not able to be with us, and Sister Mary Smith. Um, she had a fall, and so we just want to remember her. Um, and just continue to remember uh, my grandmother, Sister Shirley Buchanan. Uh, she's still not doing well, so if you would just continue to remember her. And uh, also my other aunt, uh, Sister Amber, she is uh, having some pretty bad back pain, so we just want to remember her as well. That is all the prayer requests that I have. Uh, it's many needs, but we know that the Lord can take care of each and every one of them. So if you would uh, just stand with me, ushers, if you would come forward at this time as well. Uh, we'll pray over the prayer requests and tithes and offering. And if I could have uh, Brother Jason Ashdown come forward and pray over these prayer requests at this time. Gracious Lord, we've come this evening, Lord, expecting to hear from you, from hear from the throne, and Lord, Brother Mitch has read these many requests, Father, and Lord, we're a needy people, but Lord, we have a place we can come to, cast all our cares, all our burdens, Lord, at your feet, and Father, we're doing that tonight, asking, Lord, that you would just come in a special way, Lord, meet each and every one, Father, and their needs specifically, Lord, and I know something I've always said is when the preaching of the word comes, Lord, may my need be met. May I see you through the word, Lord, and, and see the answer to my need, Father. And Lord, I just pray for each individual here who's raised their hand, special needs on their heart, Father, whatever their circumstances is, just ask you to meet each and every one. Lord, we look forward to a glorious time tonight in your word, Lord, and be with the ministers that come and preach to us, Lord. Father, I'm expecting great things, Lord. As we prepare for the tithes and the offering, we just pray you would bless it. Lord, as it would further your kingdom, Father, may there just be one more soul, Lord. If there's just one more, may we be able to reach out to that one, Lord. We just give you thanks again. Have your way for the remainder of the service. In your name we pray. Amen. So falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, oh falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I ever heard. arms I feel protected in his arms never disconnected in his arms I feel 
Switch it to the key of G. Um, just as Brother Barry comes this evening, let's sing that song, Hallelujah, Praise the Lamb. Uh, before we sing that, though, I did miss one thing here. We do have some visitors that we just want to welcome. Uh, we just want to welcome the Britons, uh, Samuel, uh, Sister Nadia, uh, Leah, and Noah. We just want to welcome you this evening. So, uh, But just as uh, Brother Barry comes, let's sing this song. tonight. We would like to ask you to remember Brother Johnny Reynolds, uh, who's already in the hospital, and tomorrow morning, 6.30 a.m., he's scheduled to go for uh, the aorta replacement, and uh, that's a major surgery, and uh, if you don't mind, we'd like you to remember him in prayer, Sister Doris, and uh, we'll give you updates tomorrow, Lord willing, as we get them. Uh, We'll try to get those out as quickly as we can. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can turn to you, Lord, in every situation, Lord, based on every circumstance, and Lord, in every turn in the road, we know, Lord Jesus, that you are one who hears the cry of your people. Your prophet taught us, Lord, that we can make an appointment with you anytime, any place, and we can speak with you, Lord, personally. Father God, I know that one day soon we will come to a place where we won't have to close our eyes to speak to you, but you'll be visible in front of all of us. Lord, we long for that day. But until that time, Lord, we come to you by faith and know, Lord Jesus, that you're present among us and that you do speak to hearts. You're one who heals broken bodies. And Lord, you're able to lift up the hands that hang down. 
And in the name of Jesus Christ, I commit our needs to you tonight, Lord, as have already been mentioned. And we lift Brother Johnny and Sister Doris before you tonight, Lord. And I just ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would be mindful of Brother Johnny and his need tonight, Lord. And Father, you postpone the first procedure. And I believe, Lord, that uh, it's ordained of you, Lord, that he be there today. And I ask, oh God, that you would just draw near to him and take away all nervousness and fear. And Lord, we're asking for complete success in this procedure. And Lord, the very best thing we can do is commit him and everyone who touches him tomorrow. We commit them into your hands. Have your way, we pray. Lord, there are many unspoken requests as well. and We commit them to you. And ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you'd be mindful of them. We ask all of these things in Jesus' lovely name and for your glory. Amen. I stand, I stand. The prayer request. Give me the prayer request. I stand, I stand. I'll take it. I'll take it. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe. Of you, yes, I stand, I stand in of you, Lord. I stand, I stand in of you, Holy God, to all praises due. I stand. take your Bibles tonight. We're going to go to, first of all, to Psalm 66. Let's bring up our screen here, please. We welcome all of you uh, this evening here in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's certainly an honor to have all of you. John, bring me up just a little bit. I feel like I'm pushing here, if you will. Psalm 66. I'd like to read this, then come back to it. Everybody, when you find it, say amen if you don't mind. Oh, bless our God, ye people. Verse 8. And make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. Who holds your soul in this life? God. He holdeth our soul in life. And suffereth not our feet to be moved. Aren't you glad for that? For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidst affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But thou broughtest us, thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. May God add his blessing. You may be seated. The more I read that scripture, the more wonderful it becomes. Every time I read it, I learn something from it. So let me give you a couple of quick announcements here and updates, and then I want you to lock in with me, and I'll tell you when it's time to lock in, okay? Our Easter meeting is April 8th, 8th and 9th. 8 and 9, Brother David Iverson, uh, pastor in Ghent, Belgium, is going to be with us. Saturday night service, mark your calendars, 
Sunday morning service, dinner to follow this service uh, on Sunday. Okay, so uh, you should encourage folks to come. I know it'll be a blessing. Let me give you a quick update for uh, Malawi here, and this is uh, the cyclone uh, Betty, uh, Freddie, sorry, <laughs> and uh, it's a cousin. And uh, this has mostly affected Malawi and the southern part of the country there. Uh, but Brother Aaron updated us today to a family over here. That's a, uh, a widow, I assume. It looks like a widow with eight children, right? Or is, is one of them a husband? Okay. And the, the, the house behind them was damaged, and, and it, roughly around $300 or so uh, that it was going to cost to fix that. Uh, so we were helping that family out there. But uh, that's, that's residual damage from the cyclone that went through. Um, this was one of the news reports that came out. They're, they're now finding people. You can see some blue sky in the background there. But these are uh, people who have been stranded in one way or another. The death toll, I think, is over 500 uh, now. But these individuals were uh, secluded uh, for about five days. And so they're, they're finding these people now and bringing them out. Uh, as as we speak, and this is the effort that's going on. So just before I came out, I received these uh, photographs in, from today uh, in Malawi. Uh, s- fuel now uh, is is shortened is is in short supply. Uh, matter of fact, a lot of supplies are, are dwindling out because people are purchasing them, and then all the NGOs and the organizations over there, like UNESCO and Red Cross, are purchasing. Uh, local supplies, so they're becoming a little more difficult to get. They obviously then become more expensive. You've got to go farther uh, to get supplies. So Brother Precious, who's seen here in the white shirt, uh, they're, they, they went to some early farmer's markets today and picked up um, supplies outside uh, of southern, uh, southern Malawi. And uh, these are some, just a couple of photos of some of the boys loading rice and beans onto our truck there, the blue truck. And uh, these are uh, beans on the, on the left-hand side here. And uh, they were getting bargaining and getting those at decent prices there and then bringing them back to the area. They divided them up into hampers, and people uh, receive those in, the, uh, in, their, in their basket that they get. So uh, this, is, uh, this is ongoing, and we're delighted to see now that you know, the supplies are actually reaching the people. This, this is the, the time now, once the weather clears up, and people are able to move around, now everyone gets a sense of how damaged the country actually is and how much of a wreck things are. And so they had to think about the process of rebuilding, starting from scratch in some cases. Uh, You have to remember, too, that while this is ongoing, uh, in many places there's there's no electricity. Uh, Schools and everything like that are canceled. People are not working, so there's not a flow of income that's coming into these families. So very quickly, their resources run dry, and uh, it, it's, it's quite sad. So we're, we're glad to be able to open up uh, our resources that we have over in the country there and allow the people to receive some relief there, so we're excited about that. And uh, this is just a, a fraction. Again, our website has uh, the information on there, so you're certainly welcome to go there and take a look and um, <clears throat> to, uh, uh, to monitor uh, the progress there. So that's where, that's where our updates go. I only do this so that 
uh, you can uh, see some of the very latest things that are coming in. <clears throat> Let's turn to the Word tonight, and uh, we're going to deal with this uh, one more time. Now, I'm really not in control of this, and I thought last week we had uh, probably summarized uh, everything in relation to this subject, and uh, someone made up this little logo here, or this little image, and I thought it was really neat, and uh, that kind of summarized a little bit about what we were speaking about last Wednesday night in relation to this subject. But one of the things that adoption teaches us is that the bride eventually gets around to doing things God's way. And we're, we're going to look at that again tonight because I want to show you in depth uh, an example here of how uh, somebody who missed, missed doing it the Father's way and what happened and then how they came around to doing things the Father's way and everything good began to happen. And so it's a nice clear illustration of how that actually works. And uh, it, I think it's an important thing because the principle itself is timeless. It doesn't matter whether you're living in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It doesn't matter whether you're living in the early church or the last church age. Uh, doing things God's way always brings the blessing that a believer will get when God is pleased with what we do. And so it's really important for us sometimes to stop. Uh, and not uh, focus on the circumstance around us, but rather to uh, look at a situation and, and determine what would the Father have me do in this uh, particular situation. And based on the circumstances here, uh, we're not going to let the, uh, the circumstances guide us, but we really do want to know what the Father would have us to do. And, and that's, that's a principle that we use all of our lives. Because we're always faced with challenges, right? We're always faced with making decisions and choices. And so we want to learn how the Father would have us to proceed. Okay? So that's the point here uh, tonight in doing this. And uh, in studying this topic, it's been, I I hope it's been exciting to you or good, profitable uh, for you. And I'm not looking for a a backhanded compliment here. I'm just, I'm just saying that when I, when I'm studying this, I'm learning all kinds of things. I mean, I'm, I'm learning new things that I have never seen before. And uh, so I think it's exciting because I come to church and I learn all the time. So now notice the asterisks here. Everybody see the asterisks, right? That means now that you've got to stop checking the weather forecast. And let's look at this statement here. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is lock in now for the next 10 or 15 minutes. Because if you get this principle, you, you you can apply it in lots of different ways. Okay, so I want you to watch... Uh, what's being said here. Now, Brother Branham says, and this is very elementary to us, but I look at elementary statements these days and I just pause and see how powerful they actually are. He says, you've got to be born again, not an emotional workup, some little something you said, well, I shouted or spoke with tongues, I've done this. That ain't it. He says, really, down in your heart, Something comes to change you and become a new creature in Christ. And you receive the person, Christ Jesus, when old things die out, new things are born again. He said, you make things right that you did wrong. You love your enemies. And you pray for those who despitefully use you. That's when you're a Christian. I really like that. He said, really down in your heart, he said, something comes to change you. So it isn't you now, but it's Christ in you that is causing these new things to happen here. And he says, you do the things that are contrary to human nature. 
So you go and make things right that you did wrong. You love your enemies and you pray for those who despitefully use you. I mean, that's not what we learn in school, that we love our enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. You don't learn that on the street, that we turn the other cheek. This is only the school that Christians go to where we learn this, right? And this is what God is trying to do. He's trying to change your thinking from uh, the way of the world and the way of your human nature and the way of logic. He's trying to change that into the way that he would have us to reflect Christ in this world. Okay? In the world to come, it's not going to be a challenge. But over here, it's a challenge because that's not the way the majority of people think. That's what adoption is all about, is taking your mind and changing it into something that reflects the character and the nature of Christ. Okay? So this is important now. You're going to have to hang on to this. Uh, and he says it, it's not just a cerebral process. It's not just a mental or an intellectual process. It is a real encounter with God. It is not intellectual faith, as Brother Branham describes. It is the real life-changing experience that a person has when they meet God. And when a person meets God, they don't have to be forced or begged or pleaded with. They don't have to be influenced or persuaded. They don't have to be bribed. They don't have to be pushed or pulled. They have a nature where they are drawn to the things of God. They love to come to the tree of life. They love to hang around with the people of God, and they love to hear the word of God. And they love to say, Lord, search me and know my heart today. And if there's anything in me that's wicked or contrary, Lord, show me that, and I would be willing to change. That's what, that's what the glorious church actually does, and that's what our love really is. But you're not going to be able to do that in a prolonged way until something comes in you that's greater than you. Because the nature of your parents is too strong. The nature of your human flesh is too strong for you to resist that continually. Anybody ever go on a diet and have real success for the first month? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. We all did, right? And I'm not talking about this mug business. Because that, that's a terrible thing. But nonetheless, I mean, it, it's, it's not a problem for you to get on a diet and go for a month and go really well, do really well, and then you get what's called diet boredom. That's a real thing. It's like Joe Cockman says, it's a real thing. And then when you, when, you, when you face that, you know what? You feel like, well, and you're researching all the time on the Internet, and then, you know, someone says, well, you can take a little bit of this and it won't matter. That's all I need to hear. That's all you need to hear. When you hear that, you know what? You just open the, the gate just a little bit, and then it's over. And it's over. Your human nature, I said all that to say this, your human, for all the, all the dieters know exactly what I'm talking about. The other people are looking at me and say, what is he exactly talking about? Do I need that for the rapture? Your human nature will do well until there's a, a little bit of a loophole. And there's a little bit of a crack in the, in, the, in the wall. There's a little bit of an opening there. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves falling back on human nature. And you know what? You will do that. As good as you are and as sincere as you are and, and as desirous you are to do the right thing, let me tell you, our human nature is a powerful thing. Our human nature is a powerful thing. And all I'm saying to you tonight is that the nature of Christ is more powerful than the, than the human nature that you have. And if it wasn't for that, we would not be able to make changes. We would not be able to do the things that are contrary to logic, uh, you know, to make things right, uh, that you did wrong, to love your enemies and to go the extra mile, pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. You wouldn't be able to do that in a prolonged way. 
All right? And he says that's when you're a Christian, when you, when you see that happening. All right, a couple of, couple of other statements now. And in doing that, <clears throat> and in doing that uh, we, we know that there are decisions that we need to make. There are things that we need to choose. And there are, conf- or there are forks in the road that come our way uh, in life when we begin our Christian journey. And so that involves making decisions. And because we don't know the future, we are relying on the Holy Spirit to lead us to make right decisions at every turn in the road. Isn't that, I mean, that's obvious. So Brother Branham says now, and and these are two screens here about decisions. He said, your decision might come now. And if it's come now, you better answer it. In other words, if the Holy Spirit's calling you, you better respond to that. And you say, well, oh brother, I'll make a decision someday. He said, you got to make it. And right now is the time to make it. So don't put that off. You have to make a decision whether you're going to get married or not. (laughs) And it might come, some people saying it this way, you mustn't get married. And some say, well, you better get married. And one say, well, you're happier if you're married. And other would say, well, you're cutting your throat. All these different things. He said, but you got to make a decision one way or the other. Right? Uh, (laughs) Some of these people who are engaged here looking at me like really all right let me give you an example i remember one time years ago when i first started preaching and i i'm just i was just by nature i was nervous about any time taking the pulpit and, and preaching the gospel when i first began and i was in a i was visiting a church uh in newfoundland where i grew up and i was visiting with a, a large assembly there and uh, the pastor said to me, just before we went out, we were in the office, and he said, my, he said, you're pretty nervous. And I said, well, yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to preach to all these people first time, and I'm handling the word of God. And I said, yeah, that just makes me nervous. And he said, you should never be nervous. He said, that's the devil just trying to distract you. So you should never be nervous. I thought, oh, wow. I mean, he's a senior. He's, he's well, uh, much older than I am. So I thought, oh, well, okay. New, <laughs> new life pattern. So I, I started to be really calm, cool, and collected before I came out to minister. And I went to visit another church. And uh, when I was in the office, the pastor said, noticed me, and he said, my, he said, you're pretty relaxed. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah. I said, that's just the devil makes you nervous. He said, no, it ain't. He said, he said, you're handling the word of God in front of people that are going to be hearing it for the first time, some of them. He said, I'm always nervous when I handle the word of God. <laughs> okay. So now, I'm, now I've got to make a choice, right? And, and I mean, this is not a bad thing. Uh, it's like getting married. Uh, there are choices that you've got to make all, all the time. You're making choices about your kids. You're making choices about, uh, about uh, every, everything in life. You know, what are we going to partake in? What are we going to let our kids partake in? What, what, where, where will I go to church and all the other things? Where will I work? What college will I go to? And do we let our daughter go to college? And all the other choices that we're faced with all through life. So let me finish the story and say, after that, after that older brother said that to me the second time, and said, you should be nervous, I thought, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And it just kind of came back to me, and uh, I, I felt like I should be what I am. I should be what I am. And I'm not trying to be like somebody else, but I should be like I am. And I will tell you, sometimes I'm really nervous coming out. Sometimes I'm really nervous coming out here to preach. And other times I'm not at all. Hey, 
Let's go. You know, let's, let's, uh, let's get there. And a lot of times it's the way the Spirit is moving already in the, in the service. And you don't realize that when you come in and you, you, know, you take a little bit of time to pray and you set an atmosphere and then you begin to sing and everybody comes into kind of a unity in the church, you don't realize how important that is. But I will tell you, whatever happens out here, I can feel it in there. That is really true. And a real minister who's sensitive uh, feels what that congregation uh, is actually, you know, how they, how they react to, how they respect the word and, and so forth. That, that is something that goes on in the spiritual realm that you do not see. And so somebody who's coming to minister steps into that atmosphere and, you know, they, uh, they have to deal with that in one way or the other. So I thought the very best thing I could be is myself and I've always tried to be uh, true to that. But the point is this, that decisions need to be made. And there are some things that you cannot put off. You can't kick that can down the road. You've got you to deal with it. And we need to make good decisions. Well, in order to make good decisions, especially in the day that we're living in today, and if you've got children and you're making decisions, and if you've got thoughts about you know, uh, whether our kids go to college, I mean, that's a really important decision. Do we get our children a phone? That's a really important decision. Because that's a life-changing event. Going to college is a life-changing event for most young people. And, uh, you know, there, there are uh, lots of things involved in those steps that we take. So as parents and as young people, uh, we, we need to really be uh, led of God to make the right decision. Brother Bram says, now you and I can make a decision, and maybe after we find out we were wrong. So we make another decision, and hopefully it's a better one. And later we find out we was wrong there. And we make another decision because we're finite human beings of the earth, creatures of time. But God is infinite. And so he cannot make better decisions because every decision is the best. Every decision is perfect, right? So when it comes to decisions that God has made, uh, it's uh, it's really important to recognize that all of his choices are perfect. And so therefore, we do not make decisions like he does. His ways are higher than ours. All right, let's apply that. Is that all right? All right, take your Bible. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 27. And we're going to look at David for a little bit here, and this is a well-worn story. Our fingers will go to this story quite easily because we've talked about it a lot. 1 Samuel chapter 27. We're going to look at some of the, uh, some of the insights that we're allowed to see in the life and the heart of David in this circumstance that we find himself in. <clears throat> Think for a moment here. David is in a place where he knows he is to be the next king of Israel. He is God's choice for king of Israel. And God specifically sent Samuel and anointed David. There's nothing, I mean nothing, can prevent this from happening. But David now is not running into an easy path to this place on the throne. He's running into opposition at every turn. As a matter of fact, the opposition becomes so great that he actually decides to leave Israel. To leave Israel is a big deal for a Jew. When you're supposed to be living in Israel, the decision to leave Israel is a big deal. It's like someone deciding that they're going to leave the church today, or the message, or Something. I mean, because Israel to a Jew, the land of Israel to a Jew, is the same as the word to us. It is the, it is the promised land, if you like. It is, the, it is the place where Jews belong, and the word is the place where the bride belongs, right? It is that place. 
And so David experiences experiences this opposition so great that he actually decides to leave the country. And this is what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 27 and verse 1. And now David said in his heart. This is David thinking now about this. Nobody's telling David that he has to go. Nobody's telling David to get out of the country. Nobody's telling David to run for your life. But he says in his heart. So this is his thinking now. And I want you to be David tonight for a few minutes. He says in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. That's absolutely false. Because David's been anointed to be the next king of Israel. He cannot, he cannot, I said he cannot not be the king. Because God's, God's made a promise. And God always fulfills his promises. Isn't that right? So he's thinking incorrectly here. He's, he's depressed enough or he's discouraged enough that he's saying, you know what, I'm going to perish one day by the hand of Saul. And there's nothing better for me to do than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Wow. You know what the word Philistines means? I didn't know this. The word Philistine means to wear down or to roll or wallow in self-pity. The Philistines were there just to wear down Israel. You know when uh, Sam, or sorry, when Goliath got out there, and, and the Bible says that he came out every day. He came out every day, and he was just trying to wear down the Israelites. That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to erode their confidence. And so David says, you know what, things, I look at things so bad. My circumstances are so bad, I'm going to go out into the place of where things are really worn down. And there's nothing better for me to do here. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore on the, in the coast of, in any coast of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. The way that I'm going to deal with this problem now is I'm going to run away. I'm going to escape. And David arose and he passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And he says, this is the way I'm going to handle this. I'm going to run away. Now, I want to stop and just say this to you this evening here. There are many, many times uh, in in our lives, and, and I'm being very honest and I'm being very transparent. There are many times when you would just like to close your eyes and open them and be in another place. We'd like to run away. We'd like to be in a different place. And that is called escapism. It's not suicidal thoughts. That's a different thing. And I don't want to dwell on that tonight. But escapism is simply that idea, I can't take it anymore. I can't handle this pressure. I got to go. I got to go. I got to get out of here. I just want to open my eyes and be on a desert island somewhere just me. Anybody, anybody ever been there? You don't need to, you don't need to tell me. Because all of us feel like from time to time, this is overwhelming. I don't have answers. And this is what David is saying. He arose, he passed over, he went out outside the country. And it says, and David dwelt with Achish and Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam and uh, Abigail. And then it was told Saul, verse 4, watch. It was told Saul that David was fled to Gath. Did he pursue him? No, he did not. He sought no more again for him. You know why? 
Because Satan knows a defeated Christian is no longer a threat. Satan knows a defeated Christian is no longer a threat to him. And you know what he did? He said, hey, he's gone. He's outside the land of Israel. I'm going back to, back to the palace. He did not have to pursue David because now David was actually taking care of this himself. A defeated Christian is no longer a threat to the kingdom of Satan. Satan will pursue you when he perceives you to be a threat. Satan will antagonize you. Satan will antagonize me. And he does. He does through family. He does through situations. He does through uh, you know, different things that happen in your life. Sometimes there are the, the freak or the fluke, that we, we call it that. Uh, you know, they're just the fluke things that happen. They're not fluke things at all. Brother Bam said, just in the same way, that, remember he was out sighting in the gun that the brothers took for him and reboard the gun? Remember that? Somebody trying to do something good for Brother Branham, and they took the Weatherby uh, Magnum, and they reboard it. And when you're dealing with, I, I don't know much about guns, but I do know this, that when you're dealing with a Magnum, you want to make sure you got it right, because Magnums hold a bigger punch than regular, normal rounds of ammunition. And so, uh, like, I know this, that if I, if I shoot groundhogs that are underneath my shed, and I do all the time, and not ashamed of it, if I use a regular twenty-two round, it, you know, it'll pass right through, and they'll just say, got you, buddy. And then they'll go underneath the shed. But if I use a Magnum, you know what? It's game over. They're ten toes up. And so I understand the difference. Now, if you take a Weatherby Magnum and you, uh, you rebore that incorrectly and that round gets stuck in the chamber, you know what? That energy is going to go one place or the other. It's either going to go out that end of the barrel or this end of the barrel. And when Brother Branham took it, it came out this end of the barrel, almost blew the side of his head off. And Brother Branham said that was Satan trying to attack the ministry of that hour. That's what he said. It was the Satan trying to attack the ministry of the hour. Because Satan's always trying to lay traps. He's always trying to do what he can. But when he sees a Christian running away, he says, hey, I'll go back to the palace. So now here's David putting himself in a position outside the land. I'm sorry, this is not real clear, but the last red dot over on the left-hand side is where Ziklag is. And David said unto Achish, if I have now found grace in thine eyes, listen now, you can read this in, your, in the Bible here, but David has gone over to the side of the Philistines. He's gone over into the land of the Philistines, and this is over in the place where uh, Goliath came from, and Gaza today is over on that side, and uh, that's, that's that same countryside. And David said unto the king, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country. Tell me where I'm supposed to be. Because David doesn't even know at this point where he's supposed to be. Man, this is a man who's to be the next king of Israel, and he doesn't even know where he's supposed to be. So he goes to the king of the Philistines, not the Philippines, and he says, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Why should I dwell in, in the same place with you? He said, that would, could be misconstrued as some sort of competition or something else. So he said, just give me a place to go. Just tell me where I'm supposed to be, and just, I'll, I'll just go there and I'll live in peace. But he said, I don't want to be in a city. I want to be in the country. That's what he said. Because you know what? Uh, things are a little bit more peaceful in the country, so that's where I want to be. And he, he asked the king, would you direct me and, and tell me where to go? I mean, that's pretty amazing. Then it says in verse 6 that the king, Achish, gave him Ziklag. 
And he says, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. It's interesting that Ziklag was not a part of Israel at that particular time, but today it is because it became a part of the inheritance of David and it never went back into the hands of the Philistines ever after that. So it says in verse 7, and and, and the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So 1.4, one year, four months, he's, he's dwelling there. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezerites and the Amalekites. For these nations were of old inhabitants of the land as thou goest ashore, even unto the land of Egypt. So this is the route, this is the pathway uh, down to Egypt. And I've driven that in, in vehicles before. And it is the shortest way. It is the way that the children of Israel did not go because they would have wound up in the promised land under Moses a lot quicker had they gone this route. But there would have been battles with the people of Gaza. So therefore, uh, God led them around the longer way because they were not ready for the battles. Because God never puts you in a battle, you're not equipped to fight. And so he led them around. And you remember that in the book of Exodus 13 to Exodus 17. You'll find that. And so... <clears throat> The king says, all right, David, you take this particular city. It's yours, just a little hamlet. Today it's just an archaeological dig, and you can live there. And they did. They brought all their families and all their goods and stuff, and they set up a shop in Ziklag. So <clears throat> David is living here now, and he's assuming that he's kind of free from this trouble that he continually faces in the land of Israel. He figures he's free from this pressure that Saul is bringing on him continually. He figures, I'm going to take the path of least resistance and I'm going to go where I think is best for me. Now I want to say this. We're talking about the subject of adoption. And adoption is learning to neglect your way of seeing things And learning to do it the Father's way. The Father's way is not always our way. The Father's way is not always the easiest way. But one thing about the Father's way, it is the Father's way. And if you do the Father's thing, you know what? The Father can pour out the blessing upon you because you did it His way. Just because it's His way. Like if you pay your tithes. It doesn't always make sense that God put his money into your hands, asks you to give it back, and blesses you because you gave him back his money. If God told us to give a portion of our money back to him, I get that. And if we sacrifice and gave a portion of our money back to God, then you know what? In, in, in the biblical thinking, for God to bless somebody who does that and sacrifices like the widow's might, you know what? Hey, I get that. But tithing is not like that. Tithing is... God's money in your checking account and it sits there until you give it to the right place and when you do, God blesses you for giving God what's God's. Figure that out. God loves to find channels of blessing and that's what that is. And in this lesson that we're doing in, in, in the subject, about the subject of adoption, it's learning to do things the Father's way. But David is in a place where the circumstances have become so overwhelming and he's so wanting to open his eyes and be in another place. He wants to live in a quiet, peaceful place where he can avoid this conflict, he can avoid this 
training. He can avoid this king. He can avoid the trouble. And my goodness, if God wants to make me king, he can. He can take Saul out of the way. Why can't he just snap his fingers and change everything? After all, he's God. Why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't everybody get their act together? And goodness sakes, then I'll be happy. But he doesn't. God doesn't always do that. Because David had to learn a lesson in his wanderings. And in his experience, David had to learn a lesson. And that was to touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. So he had to learn that God has a season for everything. And God has a way of doing things that are always best. And so David, in his frustration, and I'm not saying that, uh, shame on David. I'm not saying that at all. Because we're David tonight. We're all David tonight. I said, we're all David tonight. And we all go through times where we don't want to face this. We don't want to deal with this. And you know what? We would, we would so much love to be able to respond to the circumstances and go the path we think is of least resistance. There are times when we all go through that because we're human. And David said in his heart, as we read in chapter 1, or verse 1 of that chapter there, that I'd like to go there. So the king says, all right, take Ziklag. I think that's, that's interesting. I think it's symbolic because of what the name of the town actually means. And here it is. Here's what you need to understand. Ziklag actually means to press. In the Hebrew language, it comes from a verb. And without going into the lesson, trust me on this, it means to press, to squeeze somebody or something to reveal what's inside. It's actually similar to uh, the process whereby they make copper. And when they take copper, they put it in a smelter. And they will pressure it down, boil it down, heat it down, until the only thing that's left is the copper. And that's what they, they take off the top. The rest of it is slag, and they'll take the copper that floats to the top. But the copper only arises out of all of the heat and the pressure and the frustration and the mistakes and all the other things that go on. And out of that melting pot comes something valuable. So Ziklag, ironically, is not a place of peace. This is not Jerusalem. Salem is the word for uh, their spelling of the word shalom. This is not Jerusalem. This is Ziklag, which means David, without knowing it and without asking God's leadership, he steps right into the pressure cooker. And now he's pressed because God's going to reveal what's on the inside. Now, we don't choose these things. We don't, press, uh, we don't press God to say, Lord, if you don't mind, send me to Ziklag tomorrow. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd really like to go into a little place of pressure. Uh, we don't pray this way. We don't ask God for this. But David finds himself, because he's not doing things the Father's way now, he's doing things according to his own heart and his own thinking, and based on the circumstances, he's wanting to get out of town. And he goes to town, asks this, uh, this pagan king, where should I be? And he says, uh, let's put you over here in the pressure cooker. David says, all right, great. You know what? It's a very unpopulated place. Let's go there. Seems like life is simple over there. Everything's going to be okay, at least for a season. And it's going to be all right. Well, let's look how that went. Let's look how that went. If you don't mind... Look over here in the following chapter, 
verse 30, chapter 30, sorry, chapter 30. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag had smitten, and, and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. Without going into all the story, and you can read it yourself to fill in the background, Saul dies, and David is still over on the side of the Philistines over here, and they're pressuring him. The Philistines are actually pressuring David to fight with them against Israel. Because David is living in Ziklag, and he's living in the, in the area of the Philistines, they're actually coming to David and saying, you know what? We have several battles going now at the same time. We need your men. We need you. And so we want you to come and join forces with us. And if you don't mind, we'd like you to fight on our side because you're living in our territory and you've come to us. We haven't gone to you, but you've come to us. And we want you to fight on our side. But the problem is, is that they were going to have to be fighting against Israel. David's in a sweat because he knows, hey, I've messed up a lot of things, but I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to fight against God's people. My goodness, I want to get away. I want to get away from the struggle, not to enter into a very complex struggle now. I don't want to go back against my own people. Imagine, how do I put my head on the pillow at night and, 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 and the next morning i got to get up and, and use my sword against my people, my fellow people, the Jews. The men out of the tribe of Judah and the city of Bethlehem. How can I do that? And David's in a sweat. He's in a pickle. You know why? Because he's living in Ziklag. So David then... He's got the Philistines on this side pressuring him. He's got King Saul on the other side, who he's running from in the first place. And because he is driving out the Amalekites and all the other tribes out of that area where he's living, the Amalekites seek revenge and they come back when David and his men are out of Ziklag. All the women and children are still there, minding the house. And David and his men are off fighting. uh, they're, They're off in the wilderness And the Amalekites come and they take all the women and children and all David's goods and they run off with them and say, look what we've got. So now, if you don't mind, we've got David in Ziklag. He's got a problem with King Saul. He's got a problem with the Philistines. He has a problem with the Amalekites. And if you read down in the story, they want to kill David. David's own men are so upset. Read with me in verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and sons were taken, their daughters were taken captive. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Imagine being in the place where they were so drained from this calamity. And David's two wives were taken. David had skin in this game. And he was so greatly distressed for the people spake. Oh, look at verse 6. And David was greatly distressed. What an understatement. For the people, the people here are his people. The people here are not Philistines and they're not Amalekites. The people here are not King Saul. The people here are the 600 that followed him no matter what. And now everything they have is taken and gone. You know why? Because somebody's not doing things the Father's way. Are you following me? 
Remember I told you that obedience affects more than just you. When a man obeys God, his whole household is blessed. When a pastor obeys God, the whole church is blessed. When a king obeys God, that nation can be blessed. And I'll tell you, when somebody disobeys, there's also a residual effect as well on other people. And now here's David and all of his family, his two wives are gone and his stuff is gone. And all of his soldiers who stood faithfully with him, their families are all gone and their stuff is all gone. All my savings is gone. Everything is wiped out. And they're looking at David because they have nowhere else to turn. They know exactly why this is the case. And the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughter. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. You know what Ziklag will do? Ziklag will bring the pressure. The thing that David was running from is the very thing that found him. And in Ziklag, he found a place where all of these, all of these entities that surrounded him now, and he couldn't get away. Remember the, remember the, uh, the intention that David had in the first place was to go to a place of peace. I want to hear the birds chipping, uh, chirping and the chickens, uh, uh, clucking in the morning when I get up. And I want to just sit on the front porch and have my coffee. And I don't want to have, uh, you know, any, any kerfuffle. I don't want to have any fuss. I just want to kind of live peacefully for a little while. Remember that? How did that go, David? Not so good. Because now, no matter which way he turns, no matter which way he goes, he's got somebody trying to kill him. <laughs> I mean, in every direction, north, south, east, and west, he's got somebody who's got a sword at his throat and going to kill him the first chance they get. And why are we there? We got here How? This is a man after God's own heart. How many can say amen? This is a man who is, who is being trained by God. And how do we get here again? Very simple. He's let circumstances drive him. And that's not the Father's way. All I'm saying to you is that that's not the Father's way. So David comes to this place. He comes to this moment in time. He describes it later in the Psalms, but he comes to this place where he's looking around and it says he's greatly distressed. Aren't you glad that God does not give up on you when you're greatly distressed? He's greatly distressed. And it doesn't say that God turned his head from David. It says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And what's really, really important about this story, if you have your Bible open, is the next verse. And it says that David said to Abathar the priest, Abimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the the ephod. Bring me your Bible. And Abiathar brought thither the uh, ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord and said, Shall I pursue after this troop and overtake them? So now David is sold out to the place. He's squeezed to the place where he realizes, I got nowhere to go. I've got nowhere to run. I've got nowhere to hide. I've got no resources. I got nobody who's standing with me. And you know what? Lord, it's just me and you. And God's forced, listen, God's forced him to look this way because he can't look any other direction. Can I get an amen out of somebody? He's not able to look any way at all. He's looking this way because that's how God turned Ziklag into profitability in David's life. Think about this. Here's a man after God's own heart. And here's how God teaches him. And here's how God shows him. Because David is a steward. And David is a a, a learner. He's one who's in a place where he's being shaped, molded now to sit on the throne and guide God's people. 
And he goes to God and he says, get me a biathar, get the book, let's look at it, let's wait on God. Shall I pursue and overtake them? And the Bible says in 8b, and he answered and said, pursue, for thou shalt surely overcome them, and without fail thou shalt recover all. So they take off, 400 of the 600 men take off, and they head down the road and they find an Egyptian in the field. Remember the story? And they find the Egyptian in the field. And this guy's laying there uh, like this. And uh, they say, hey, who are you? And he says, well, I'm a slave of uh, one of these Amalekites. And my master said, uh, man, you look terrible. We're going to leave you here. We'll come, hopefully come back for you. Not. And they left him in the field to die, right? And so the, David and his men happened on this guy. He didn't happen on that guy at all. Because God now is in the process of giving David victory. Isn't that right? So now what you're looking at here is a man who comes back to doing it God's way. Isn't it first, the first thing we do is we should seek the Lord? Isn't the first thing that we should do is pray to God? Isn't the first thing that we do is make sure God is center in our lives? And we're not moving here because of money. We're not moving here because of the young people's group. And we're not moving here because of the comfortable chairs. We're not moving here because Brother Barry tries to stick to an hour. That's not why we're moving here, folks. That's not why sons of God are led. We are led by the Spirit of God. And you gotta get in tune with the Spirit of God. You gotta, you gotta say, Lord, is that what you want me to do? And when you're doing that, you know what? You are actually moving ahead in the school of adoption. You're learning to do things the Father's way. Can somebody say amen? I appreciate you saying amen. And I believe that's exactly what God's training produces. And I will tell you what, all of us go through ziklag. All of us go through times uh, when you don't have really good answers or you don't have any other place to turn. And God will allow your ziklag to come so that you're looking up this way and you got your eyes on God. And you know what? That's what he wanted in the first place. Amen. That's what he wanted in the first place. God doesn't want you to figure out your future. And God doesn't want you to, uh, you know, try to destroy all the Philistines. And God doesn't want you to destroy all the Amalekites in your life. God knows how to do that. God knows how to take care of that. He just wants to use you as a vessel in his hand and be willing to say, Yes, Lord, left or right doesn't matter to me. I'm your child. I'm your servant. Lord, I've been trained to follow you. And I've been trained not to worry about all the details. Just lead me in the path that you have chosen for me. And onward, Christian soldiers, do I go. It might sound old-fashioned, it might be simple, but after all, it is Wednesday night. So the Bible says that David was greatly distressed. And that means that he was cramped. That means that he was in a narrow place. That means he was in a straight passage. I want you to take a look at our text. Oh, bless God. Look at our text now in the light of what I just said. Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. David says, do we have something to thank God for? Which holdeth our soul in life and suffereth our, not our feet to be moved. David says, we have a lot to be thankful for because you know what? He holds my soul in his hands. And the enemy does not hold my soul, but he holds my soul. And even in the time when I should be overwhelmed, he suffers my feet not to be moved. Sometimes you think, you know what, you've been through tough times and we all have and we all will. And you young people looking at me and thinking, well, no, I got it all figured out. You will have times when if it was not for the grace of God, your feet will slide and slip all over the place. But thank God he still holds feet in a solid place today. I thank God for that often. And then he says, for thou, O God, has proved us. 
You have put us in the ziklag. You have put us in the smelter. You have put us in the place and tried us as silver is tried. Thou has done this, O Lord. And we didn't, we didn't really like being in the smelter. And we didn't really like being boiled to pieces. And we didn't really like being separated. And we didn't really like all we had to go through. But you know what? When we came through that, we came through as something better than what we were when we went into that in the first place. And only God knows how to orchestrate that. You don't know how to orchestrate them. Thou brought us into the net. Thou broughtest us into the net. God actually allowed you to go into the net. And thou laidst affliction upon our loins. You say, well, hey, the pastor's made my life miserable. And people in this church have made my life miserable. And uh, my boss makes my life miserable every day. I remember telling you stories about my boss. His name was Ivan. I nicknamed him, nicknamed him Ivan the Terrible because truly he was Ivan the Terrible. And I saw him break up furniture because we had made a mistake in the plant. And he had uh, done all kinds of things. I mean, I saw him do some terrible things and we call him Ivan the Terrible and I still call him Ivan the Terrible because it was really terrible what we had to go through. And I will tell you this, sometimes we think, well, uh, you know, and I was serving God back in that day and I will say this to you today that you might have, uh, you might have somebody breathing down your neck or you might have problems in your life. Let me tell you something, that's not something that maybe you brought on yourself, but God actually lays affliction upon you. And you know what he's doing? Not to break you. And God does not delight in your suffering. God does not delight in your frustration. And God does not delight at all in your sickness. He's a healer of all of our diseases. Isn't that right? But God knows how to bring out the fact that you're looking to something else instead of him. God knows how to bring out the fact that you got your eye on something else. And sometimes what you have your eye on is an escape. I said, sometimes what you got your eye on I can get out of this. I can go here. I can do this. I can get away. How did that go for David? Verse 12. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. And we went through fire and through water. We went through the fires and the floods. But thou brought us into a wealthy place. Glory to God. Thou brought us into a wealthy place. Brother Branham says, the Lord searcheth the reins. And the word search means to track or follow up. And God tracks down our thoughts. Are we okay? I'm just saying what he said. God tracks down our thoughts. And he knows what's in your heart. He sees our works, which are a definite manifestation of what lies within us. Because it's out of the heart that proceeds either righteousness or wickedness. Our motives, our purposes, all are known unto him as he watches every action. And there is no fear of God before the false vine. And dearly shall they pay. Let all who name his name so live as becometh HBTites. No. They're called HBites. No, that's not how we're called to live. We're called to live as becometh saints. And you know what? Saints, if I understand it right, saints are not perfect. Saints are not flawless. I mean, at least to humankind. Hello? Saints are not flawless. We make mistakes. Saints can get their feelings hurt. Saints 
can have people say critical things about them. Saints can have their checks bounce because saints' checks bounce too. They bounce just as high as the other checks that bounce. Saints get into car accidents. Saints have tough things happen to them, right? (laughs) All of these things happen to saints too. But you know what saints have got? They've got this other thing in them, which is not a thing at all. It's the person, Brother Branham, we talked about in the first quote, where Brother Branham says, you've got to be really born again. And he said, that's Christ Jesus in you, changing you, and asking forgiveness, and making things right, going the extra mile, turning the other cheek. Because hmm. we might be able to fool the people, but you'll never fool the Lord. I was at Full Gospel Businessmen's in California, and Brother Branham said a Baptist boy, Danny Henry, came up, put his arms around Brother Branham, and he said, I want to pray for you. And when he did, he broke out speaking in tongues, and this is what he said, because thou hast chosen the narrow path, the harder way. Anybody remember this? If you don't remember, go to Birth Pains in 1965, and Brother Branham explains this. And he says, because thou hast chosen, this is what this man said to Brother Branham in the spirit. He said, because thou hast chosen the narrow path, the harder way. Thou hast walked of thine own choosing. Thou hast picked the correct and precise decision, and it is my way, God's way. Because of this momentous decision, a huge portion of heaven awaits thee. And this in itself is what will give and make to come to pass a tremendous victory in the love divine. You know why I quoted that? Because that's a contrast to David. And David did not pick the correct and precise path. He picked the path of least resistance. Don't put David out because God put David in. Okay? You don't need to be a judge here. I'm just saying that under, the, under New Testament rules and the rules of adoption, a son of God is trained to take the path God chooses even if it's the harder path. Am I making any sense? This is the testimony of an adopted son. This is the testimony of somebody who's looked at, looked at both things. And he said, because of this momentous decision, you've made a choice. Brother Ram's made a choice. You remember he went in a restaurant and he saw, uh, you know, he, he was telling somebody, I want to go up in the mountains and live and be a trapper. Remember that? And he said, I want to be up there and, you know, uh, blow my nose like, you know, the old guys up there, the rough guys and all the rest of it. And then he breaks into a vision. And the Holy Spirit shows him and says, if you choose that way, this is the way you'll become. And he's hanging around with Fletcher Broy. And Fletcher Broy is a drunk and he's a no good and he's out, outcast in the street. And, and God is not telling him, but you can't do that. God is telling him, if you make that choice. In 1965, Brother Bram's telling the story, and this is 61 when it happened, but Brother Bram's in 1965 explaining how that, because of this momentous decision, you know what? God really rejoices over these kinds of decisions because he can say, they got it. He's got it. He's got it. Brother Bram's got it. He's looking at two paths. One is easy. One is tough. And he's taking the tough one because it's my way. You know what that is? That's a victory. That is a victory for God to look at a man who made in the past bad decisions 
And it cost him his wife and daughter. Are you following me? But he's learned the Father's way. And now God is applauding him, saying, Buddy, you got it. This is what will make and give and make to come to pass the great tremendous victory in the love divine. There's coming an hour, friends, when God will make the world bow at the feet of men and women who have plunged through and crossed the Jordan and separated themselves from the things of the world. Brother and sister, tonight, whatever you do, he says, cross Jordan with God. Go on, separate, leave the world behind. Let God train you for his service. We're living in a day before this revival, before this bride takes off, but God's searching out trying to find talent. God's trying to find money. God's trying to find wealthy church members. What's God trying to find? A heart that he can teach. A heart he can influence. He says, let God train you for his service. Let's stand over feet. Let God train you for his service. Don't, don't, don't go anywhere. In Isaiah 51, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Now watch what he says. Watch what he asks the question here. Everybody, we'll keep watching just for a minute. I, even I am he that comforteth you. Now let me comfort you with this question. That's what he's saying. Watch this. Who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die and of the son of man which, will, which shall be made as grass? Why in the world are you afraid of people around you? And forget us the Lord thy maker that has stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and has feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor as if he were ready to destroy, as if they could take your life, as if they could cut you off. Where is the fury of the oppressor? Where are they now? I've got to ask you this question here. Uh, God says, why are you afraid of people out there when they blather on and they just make all kinds of noise and all the rest of it here? <laughs> let me, let me, uh, let's reiterate something. Who is the God of creation and who is the God who is in control and who is the God who made the earth and who is the one who holds your soul and who is the one who stabilizes your feet and who is the one who has brought you through the message and all the other message hiccups that we've had over the years and all the church splits and all the doctrines and all the different ideas and who's brought you right to where you are today? Why are we worried about this or that or something else? Put your trust in God and believe that and get ready to do things the Father's way. Whether you realize it or not, God's been knocking at your door. God's been trying to get your attention and God's been trying to lead you and you do not have anything to fear. The thing you need to do is just get proactive in putting your hand in God's hand every morning when you wake up and say, Lord, I'm yours. Lead me where you want me to go. And you know what? I think when you do that, you're a candidate for adoption graduation. Hallelujah. All right, Brother Keith, let's play something we can all sing and be happy that we came to church for. Let's all sing something and give praise to God because that's what God is, that's the question he's asking. Why don't, why don't you, why don't you realize you're not in control? Your, your critics are not in control. Your detractors are not in control. I'm in control. I made it all. I sustain it all. I stabilize your feet. I, I govern your soul every day. I, I watch over you. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. 
I am with you even in you until the end of the road. You have really nothing to fear. You have nothing, absolutely nothing to fear. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship, one accord. John, every, every praise. Mitchell, sing for me. Sing hallelujah to our God. Oh, glory, hallelujah to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God, my Savior, God, my power in the name of Jesus we've got the power in the name of Jesus we've got the power in the name of the Lord though Satan rages he will not be be defeated. Well, we've got the power in the name of the Lord. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Works
my God will make a way where there seems to be no Father, as we bow in your presence tonight, Lord, we can say it's been good for us to be in your house. Because, Lord, we're learning as we, as we mature and as we grow through this. Lord, we're learning the Father's way. We learn from these examples. And, Father, when David chose that path of least resistance and got away from the land, and he came to that place of pressure. He didn't choose another place of peace, but he sought you. Lord, that's the turning of every son and daughter of God. Lord, when we realize we've run out of options, the best place to turn is to you. Lord Jesus, may every one of us come to that place that we can be at rest with your will, even though, Lord, it may not always make sense. I pray you'd have your way, Lord. I pray that you would speak to every heart tonight. And Lord Jesus, we as an assembly now, we bind our faith together on behalf of Brother Johnny. And Lord, he lays in a hospital bed tonight, and no doubt he and his wife are listening. Father, I I just pray that you, even now, would draw near to him. And give him, Lord, the peace that passes understanding. And just to let him know that the great physician is watching over everything that takes place. I commit him into your hands. I pray you'd give him total victory. I pray you'd give him complete overcoming and healing in his body. I pray, dear God, that you'd take away all worry and fear and may the Holy Spirit guide the hands of those doctors and surgeons tomorrow, Lord, and nurses and everybody who attends, Lord. I I just pray that you would draw near and, Father, just be that overwhelming influence in his life because you hold his soul in your hand. And we're going to believe that tonight. We're going to trust that. I commit him into your care. Have your way, Lord Jesus. And Lord, for every one of us that are going through different things, Lord, there's never, ever anything too great for you. And so, Lord, may we turn like David did. Call for the book and ask, Lord, for your guidance. We'll commit our ways to you in Jesus' lovely name. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in my life. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the hearts of these people. And I ask, oh God, that you would just continue to pour yourself out. Lead us and guide us in your perfect will. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. And all the people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. my Jesus, the best thing I've ever, ever done. Sing it as you go tonight. God bless you.
And in his arms, well, I feel protected. In his arms, never disconnected. Yes, in his arms, I feel protected. No place I'd ever rather be. So falling in love with my Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, oh, falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I ever, ever arms I feel protected in his arms never disconnected oh in his arms I feel protected there's no place I'd ever rather be Falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus